Coach Bear Bryant was known as a football legend. But more than anything else, he was remembered as a winner. At the end of his 38-season career, he held six national championships. And probably more victories than any other coach in football history. Victor Gold wrote a tribute to Coach Bryant in the National Review. And in his tribute, he said, like all authentic Southern legends, he was man of the soil. If I hadn't found football, Coach Bryant once said, I would have ended up behind a mule just like my daddy. But I will tell you one thing. I would have plowed the straightest furrow in Arkansas. Somebody once asked Coach Bryant, do you consider yourself an innovator? Do you consider yourself to be a style setter? He said, no, 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 no. I ain't nothing but a winner. (laughs) And I believe this winning attitude and this winning career has something very significant to tell every believer in Jesus Christ Because when Jesus died on the cross, he declared that his followers are winners. That when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, he declared that Satan's power to be no longer invincible. When Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, he made a public example. He made a public show of Satan and all his demons. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was saying to all of his own, Be a winner, I made you a winner. Satan said, I will exalt myself, I will sit, I will ascend, I will be like the Most High God. And to that cry of pride, to that cry of arrogance, in verse 15 of Isaiah 14, God said, You shall be brought down to hell and to the side of the pit. I want you to notice one thing that is very important, very significant. That Jesus Christ moved in an opposite direction to the way Satan wanted to go. Satan said, I will ascend. Jesus said, I will descend. Satan said, I want to go high up. Jesus said, I'm going to go to the lowest of the low. Satan said, I am full of who I am. Jesus said, I am emptying myself of my glory. Satan said, I want to be equal with God. Jesus said, I will not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Satan said, I want to be the master. Jesus said, I will take the form of a servant. Satan said, I will do it my way. But Jesus said, I will obey the Father even unto death, the death of the cross. And thus on the cross, Jesus unmasked Satan. Satan's theory of success is, grab all you can. Brag all you can. Set yourself up as high as you can. Step on many toes as you can. But Jesus declared that the way up is down. And that the way to success is dependence on the Heavenly Father. That the way of power is surrender to the will of the Father. That the way of riches is a giving of possessions. That the way of peace is resisting the enemy. 
That the way of victory over sin is fleeing from temptation. That the way of glory is humility. That the way to a crown is through a cross. Any victor at any battle takes away the spoils of the battle. He takes away the spoils of his victory from his enemies. That is a normal rule of combat. So, when Jesus hung on the cross and unmasked Satan and made a display of him, as Paul tells us in Colossians, he took all the privileges away from Lucifer. All the privileges that were given to him before the fall. And all the other privileges that he grabbed for himself on his way down. After Satan rebelled against God, God did not take away some of his authority. God did not take away the offices that he assigned to him. God could have, but he didn't. As a matter of fact, Satan today still has power over his own. And that is why the Bible said he is the prince of the air. In Ephesians 2.2, that he is the prince of the power of the air. In Ephesians 6.12, it says that he is the head of the world rulers of this darkness. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, he tells us that he is the God of this age. That's who he is. But listen, on the cross, something changed. Something happened. On the cross, Satan's power over Jesus' flock was curtailed. On the cross, the power of Satan over Jesus' followers have become very limited. On the cross, the power of Satan over Jesus' disciples was rendered useless. His power over Jesus' own is no longer invincible. Why? Because on the cross, the barrier of sin that once separated us from the Father has been removed. On the cross, the gulf, our sin that created between us and the Father, has been bridged. The condemnation that is lodged against us by our accuser, Satan himself, has been removed. The death that characterizes our fate has been taken away, and we have been made alive with Christ forevermore. You know... I think those of you who have been listening to me long enough know that I have never, ever ceased to be absolutely amazed, to be mind-boggled at the fact that what it cost God for my salvation. You know, the salvation that we are sort of ho-hum, we take it for granted. Yes, we're Christians, we live in a Christian country. Isn't that wonderful? I want to tell you that salvation cost God far more than you will ever comprehend on the face of this earth. And I am now came to the conclusion that only in heaven will we understand, can we comprehend what it costs to make the offer of salvation through Christ possible for you and for me. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, beginning... At verse 13, I want to focus on three verses, 13, 14, and 15. Paul said that in Christ, God has forgiven you all your trespasses. How? By canceling the bond, the bond that stood against us with all of its legal ramifications, with all of its legal demands. He did this by nailing it to the cross. When these Italian soldiers were nailing Jesus to the cross, they did not know that they were nailing the bonds that was held against you and against me on that cross. 
By disarming the principalities and the powers. Making public example, public show, triumphing over them in Him. Before God could declare you saved from eternal hell. Before God can declare you salvation for you to be possible and for me to be possible. It was necessary for Jesus Christ to enter into conflict with old Lucifer. It was important and absolutely necessary for him to enter into that battle with Satan. And then come out of the battle victorious and declare Satan to be a vanquished foe, which he is. In this passage, I believe the Apostle Paul gives us a magnificent picture of how the Roman law, the legal system worked in Rome back then. Please listen carefully. This is important. Under a very strict legal procedure, an accusing witness appear before the judge and present his case against the person whom he's accusing. Then his testimony had to be substantiated before his case would even be brought to the court for formal decision. And then when the indictment is handed down, when the indictment is issued and the case is brought to trial, it was necessary for the accuser to stand in the presence of the one whom he is accusing and there at the witness of the judge and pronounce that accusation. In your case and in my case, our accuser is no other than Satan himself. Satan, our accuser, knows the word of God. He knows that the word of God said that the soul that sins shall die. He knows that the word of God said that the wages of sin is death. So when Satan comes before God, when our accuser comes before God, and he points to our sins, sins of which we are guilty, God knew that Satan's accusations were just. He knew that his accusations were true. He knew that his accusations were fair. He knew that his accusations were real. There is no righteous, says the scripture, not even one. For we all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. That's the word of God. That's the evidence. Satan didn't have to work hard to find a catalog of sins that you have committed and I have committed. He didn't have to work hard to find these evidence for our accusations. He didn't have to hire some expensive private eyes going around the country searching and finding evidence. He didn't have to do any of this. All the evidence were there. God the judge has agreed with the accuser. God the judge knew that the evidence are overwhelming against us. God the judge could not wink at sin, could not ignore sin with which we are born. God the judge could not ignore our practice of sin. God the judge knew that we were under condemnation of sin even before Satan himself brought these accusations forward. And before God could accept us into his family, before he can call us his children, before he can call us his sons and his daughters, before he can call us to be the brothers and the sisters of Jesus Christ, before he can do that, before he can declare us forgiven, it was necessary for Jesus Christ to do something about Satan's indictment and about Satan himself. That's what Paul is telling us here. A just judge, a fair judge, 
cannot dismiss an indictment if he knows it's true. And this was the case. You know, the Pharisees brought false accusations against Jesus. And then an Italian judge washed his hand out of that whole mess. And he pretended that it doesn't exist. And that he can go back to sleep and forget all that disaster. But not so. You see, earthly courts may fail. Earthly courts may be flawed. But not with the heavenly courts. Not with God's court. He is a just God. He is a fair God. He is a truthful God. And He is a pure God. And the accusation sticks. Look at verse 14. Paul indicates that the case was investigated. And that it was found to be true. So when Satan stood and he pointed accusing finger toward you, his accusation was true. When Satan stood and pointed accusing finger toward me, his accusation was true. Because we were guilty as charged. I want to tell you, in this case you can't rely on some slick lawyer to get you out on technicality. You cannot find or rely on some technicality of the law. Here you can't say, well, you know, I was good here and good here and good here. I was only bad here. No. One strike and you're out. That's the law of God. We can't claim any legal or political immunity. We can't claim any protection from the law. But blessed be His holy name. Jesus came to do something about our indictment. He came to cancel it. He came to cancel your indictment. He came to cancel my indictment. He came to take the penalty of our indictment upon himself. He came to remove that indictment once and for all. And he nailed it to that cross on which he was nailed. How does it work? Well, hear me right, please. This is important. In those days of the Roman government, when a criminal is convicted, after the sentence for his crime is announced, An official writing drawn up by the courts. In it, it is written what the crime is. And also, what is the penalty for that crime? And it was written on a piece of paper. And on that piece of paper, whenever the criminal is sent to prison, that piece of paper is taken in and is nailed to the door of the cell of the prison in which the prisoner stays. If it is a capital crime, that same piece of paper is nailed to the cross on which the criminal is hanged. And that is why Pontius Pilate wrought on the cross of Jesus Christ, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. What he was saying is that this man hangs here to die because he was found guilty of the crime of treason. But then there was another indictment that was nailed to the cross on the day Jesus was hanging there on Calvary. That indictment was nailed there by God Almighty Himself. And it was the list of your sins and mine. It was the list of your iniquity and mine. It was a list of your disobedience and mine. It was a list of your rebellion and mine. All of the charges, all of the accusations were put on the cross. 
And since the penalty of sin was death, Jesus paid the debt in full. He satisfied the indictment completely. He assumed the guilt upon himself fully. He publicly displayed that indictment. And there's another thing that Jesus did on the cross. Not only that he paid for your penalty and for mine. Not only that he died for our indictment to satisfy the justice of God the Father. But then there he had to triumph over the one who launched the indictment. He had to triumph over our accuser. Colossians 2. He disarmed the principalities. He disarmed the powers. And he made public show of them. And a public example of them. These principalities and the powers are the entire hierarchy of demons. They are the entire hierarchy of the fallen angels under Satan's authority. And as I told you in the beginning under Roman law. When the criminal is indicted, this piece of paper is nailed to the door of his cell. But then when he was released, after he served his sentence, or after he's been pardoned, that same piece of paper is go back to the court, to the same judge who sentenced him. And the judge would take a pen, and he would write right across the page, one word, tatalestai. It is paid in full. And what does that individual criminal does? After he takes it to the judge, then he takes it home. And he goes out in the front door of his house. And he nails it to the door of his home. So that any mischief maker, any troublemaker, any innocent police agency that would come by and would say, what is this fellow doing out of prison? He can point him to that piece of paper and to that word. And he says, the judge says, telatestai. That's what he said. You have no claim over me. You have no authority over me. I am a free man. This man's safety is in that word, word telatestai. That man's future depends on that word, telatestai. That man's deliverance from prison depended on one word, telatestai. This man's liberty was dependent on one word, telatestai. And you know what? few moments, just few moments, before Jesus dismissed his spirit. And the word there is a word of an army general with all authority. He didn't lose his life because people want him to. No. Jesus said that I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. When he hung on that cross, with the words that only used by army general, the Bible said, he dismissed his spirit with authority. Now I die for him. Now I die for you. Now I die for you. But before he did this, the Bible tells us that he called out in a loud voice and he said, Telatestai. It is paid for. In full, it is finished. It is canceled. Right across the page. And for those who have committed their life to Jesus Christ, for those whom Jesus is the only Savior and Lord, Satan has no legal right over you. 
Satan has no legal right to trespass on your property. Satan has no legal right to harass you. He has no legal right to defeat you. Satan has no legal right to push you around and come into your life when he wants to and leave when he wants to. No. Because Jesus said, tell a test And when he said so, you became a free man and a free woman. Unless you let him. Unless you allow him in. From now on. Jesus said on that cross, you are a child of God. From now on, you're a winner. Jesus willed it so. He intended for it to be so. He desired for you to be a winner. He made it possible for you to be a winner. And when Satan tempts you to feel sorry for yourself or become so focused or self-absorbed, tell him, tell a test I. When he comes to you and tries to defeat you by attack and by false criticism, tell him, tell a test I. When Satan tries to tempt you, as we saw in the last message, through your mind gate, tell him, tell a test I. When he comes and tries to tempt you through your eye gate, tell him, tell a test I. When he comes to try to tempt you through the will gate, tell him, no, tell a test I. When Satan tries to tempt you with pride and vain glory, say, no, Satan, tell a test I. Jesus said it on the cross. Whatever you are spiritually today, whatever you may be, whatever stage you're in, in your spiritual walk, I want to tell you, you can be a winner. God wants you to be a winner. Unless you hand over authority to the usurper, which he does not have. Unless you willingly invite him in. As believers who are living in these last days, how To disarm the usurper in our lives. Suppose that one day you open the door of your house. You're not supposed to, but you did. You open the door of your house. And when you open the door of your house, and there is a seven foot, 300 pound gorilla of a man standing there. And as soon as you open the door, he pushes his way and gets into the house. And before you can say anything, he makes himself comfortable. He sits in an easy chair, and he sits back, enjoys himself. To put it mildly, he takes over. And you politely ask him, well, please leave. Why are you in this house? He avoids answering that question. And he would uh, say to you, oh, I'm just your friend. You know, I'm, I'm just being neighborly. Come see how you're doing. And his towering size and his forceful voice overwhelms you. And you begin more confused and, and more irritated. So you say to him, the family is uncomfortable. You've got to leave. I can't have you here anymore. And he will say, yes, yes, I, I'm going to leave. I just just uh, after dinner. So you call the family down. And the intruder sits at the meal table. And before your family can touch the food, he whiffed it down. And so then you politely say, no, okay. You've eaten. Please leave. He would say, uh, well, in a while. And then he moved into your living room. And he sits back in your easy chair. And he monopolizes the family conversation. Finally, you say, okay, now it's time to leave. He said, it's getting late. I need to go to bed. He said, oh, I'm glad you brought this up. By the way, I've got to spend the night. It's too late, too. 
I've got to stay here. And sleeping on sofa is not very comfortable for me. So he goes up and takes over the master bedroom. I think by this time, the whole family is exasperated. The whole family is frustrated. Whether it be a home family or a church family. And then they're getting on each other's nerves. They're criticizing each other. They're attacking each other. They're accusing each other. And they are all tensed up. All angry. All frustrated. Because they don't know what to do with that intruder. Case of misery. It's too big to throw out by yourself. What do you do? I'm sure some of you are saying, no, this is crazy. <laughs> Anyone with half a brain would have called the police by now. Right? My point exactly. I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> he said, the law and the government on our side. The authority on our side. I don't have to put up with this. My point. You don't have to point up with this. When we invite Satan into our life, one of his fallen minions, demons, when we allow them into our lives because of weakness and because of sin and because of failure, he comes in and he takes over and he harasses you. He oppresses you. He causes all kinds of havoc. He creates all kinds of confusion. But when Jesus died on the cross, he said, Teletestai. That means that he gave you the legal right to be a winner over Satan and all of his demons. And you can command him in Jesus' name to buzz out and never come back again. You have the legal right to successfully resent the devil and to repent unto the Lord and to bolt that door so he doesn't come back again. I want to ask you a question as I'm closing. Please answer it to yourself today. Have you received the canceled indictment? Have you received it? Have you nailed it to your door? Do you rest in its safety and its security? To know Christ is to experience the cancellation of the penalty of your sin and be eternally saved. But to walk with Christ every day means that you claim your legal right of being a winner over sin and over Satan. To ignore Christ as the only Savior, you will undergo the constant accusation of Satan. And if you don't receive that cancel indictment by repenting, you're going to hear that miserable accusing voice throughout eternity. Throughout eternity. If you have not been walking claiming your legal right of authority over sin and over temptation, and you've been chained and been in bondage, break that bondage. Call those demons out. They have no authority to come and harass you. Whatever you are, whatever state you're in, God's door is wide open for you. He wants you to come. You have a bondage that you're not able to break away from. You have let the enemy in and he's taken over, but he has no authority over you. Cast him out in Jesus' name right now. Do it now. You don't know what is awaiting you tomorrow. Don't put it off. In a silent moment, 
make that decision. Precious God, our Heavenly Father, we bless you and we thank you. Oh God, you have provided for our salvation. You have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And you have given us the authority to defeat Satan and sin. (coughs) Forgive us, oh God, in the times when we have been bashful, in the times when we've been divided hearts, in the times when we have put one foot here and one foot there, one foot with you and one foot with the devil. Father, forgive us. Forgive us, Father, our divided hearts. And we pray right now that you break all bondages. Father, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that they be freed to serve you, to love you, and to know you in an intimate way. We thank you for Jesus who made it possible, our Savior and our Lord. In his name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.